Good morning, my name is Lindsay. I'm a life group leader here at Toongabby Baptist Church and today I have the privilege of reading the word. If you don't have a Bible, we have them up the back. Please take one and read along with us and take it home as a gift from us. So if you're looking for Psalms, open your Bible to the middle and then you'll find Psalms and then find uh, Psalm 25. In you, Lord, my God, I put my trust. I trust in you not to let me be put to shame, nor let my enemies triumph over me. No one who hopes in you will ever be put to shame, but shame will come to those who are treacherous without cause. Show me your way, Lords, teach me your paths. Guide me in your truth and teach me, for you are God my saviour and my hope in all that you do day long. Remember, Lord, your great mercy and love, for, for they are from the old. Do not remember my sin, the sins of my youth or my rebellious ways. According to your love, remember me, for you, Lord, are good. Good and upright is the Lord. Therefore, he instructs sinners in his way. He guides the humble in what is right and teaches them his way. All the ways of the Lord are loving and faithful towards those who keep the demands of his covenant. For the sake of your name, Lord, forgive my iniquity, though it is great. Who then are those who fear the Lord? He will instruct them in the ways that they should choose. They will spend their days in prosperity and their descendants will inherit the land. The Lord confides in those who fear him and makes his covenant known to them. My eyes are ever on the Lord, for only he will release me my feet from the snare. Turn to me and be gracious to me, for I am lonely and afflicted. Relieve the troublers of my heart and free me from my anguish. Look on my affliction and my distress and take away all of my sins they are numerous are my are my enemies and how fiercely they hate me guard my life and rescue me do not let me be put to shame for i take refuge in you may integrity and uprightness protect me because my hope lord is in you deliver israel o lord from all their troubles. This is a word. Good to see you all again. It's, um, it's wonderful to see so many, so many faces here this morning. So as we've heard over the last three weeks, we've been looking at um, specific, I guess, longings of the human heart um, and what the, what the Psalms have to say about them. Um, and the preaching so far has been what we call expository. So the preacher each week has been given a Psalm and he has pretty much preached through that psalm, pretty much verse for verse. Um, last week we saw Diddy do that with the human longing for comfort as he preached through Psalm 139. Now today will be the final sermon in the, in the series of psalms. However, it's not going to be expository. I'm not going to be going verse for verse through Psalm 25. Instead, I'm going to take the topic, and that topic of course is friendship. And we're going to look at a few different verses throughout the Bible. But what I will do is I will uh, look at a verse, a, a verse that's found right in the middle of, of Psalm 25 that's going to be key. It's going to be vital to what we're looking at today. 
right? And as I said, that, that topic that we're looking at today is that human heart longing for friendship. And this morning, I'm going to look at three points, which has kind of become tradition here at Tingabi. Uh, three points about what uh, the Bible has to say about friendship, but I'm not going to reveal them up front. So I'll reveal them as we go. And I'm going to keep them really, really simple. Really simple points, three points that'll, that'll, you can just you know, go away with and remember really easily. So let's start with that first point. Right? Friendship is what? It's good. Friendship is good, nice and simple. So what exactly is friendship? And a Christian pastor and author, Drew Hunter, wrote a fantastic book on this topic called Made for Friendship. And what he, what he does in the book is he takes, he takes ideas from Christian writers and he takes ideas from secular writers and he comes up with a definition for friendship, which I reckon is pretty good. And this is what his definition is. He says, friendship is an affectionate bond forged between two people as they journey through life together with openness and trust. So when you think about your situation, right, how many close and intimate friends do you think you have? How many good friends have you got? How many acquaintances? You know, according to the psychology department at Oxford University, a person on average has about 500 acquaintances, right? They've got about 150 meaningful contacts, about 50 friends, about 15 good friends. But the tightest circle of friends that a person has, that, that really, we have a deep relationship, that intimate relationship, is on average five or less people. Now for me, personally, I've got two, Dave and Phil, right? Both obviously are men and both are believers, both are Christians. Now Dave, I've known my entire life. Uh, that's probably the earliest known photo of Dave and I. That's Dave sitting on the floor there and that's me <laughs> on, the, on the sofa there. And the other two people are just his siblings. So my dad's family and Dave's family, uh, Dave's mum's family, they grew up a few doors down from each other back in Europe, back in Croatia. And the two families were close friends. They both moved to Australia and settled here. And in 1976, both Dave and I were born. And I've pretty much known him ever since. Now, Phil, I don't have a photo of Phil, but Phil I met in 2009, in late 2009, through work. We clicked immediately, and I've known him and been close mates with him for the last 14 years. Now, these two are men of God. They're men of integrity, with whom I can safely confide in, knowing that whatever I tell them will be held with the strictest, strictest of confidence. And I know that because... Time and time again, they've proven themselves trustworthy to me. And I hope that they can say the same about me. As the definition from Drew Hunter says, there is an, there is a, um, an affectionate bond between us where there is openness and where there is trust. These two men have enriched my life in ways I can't even begin to tell you. 
They've helped me as, as, a, as a person to grow and mature, as a Christian, as a husband, as a father, and of course as a friend. We've been to some amazing places together. We've had some amazing experiences together. We've spent countless hours talking about the goodness of God in our lives. They've encouraged me in countless different ways. And again, I hope, I hope they can say the same about me. You know, friends like these are good. And you know that if you've got friends like that. Friends like these are good. They're a gift from God, aren't they? You know, I love the way J.C. Ryle puts it. He says, friendship halves our sorrows and it doubles our joys. So true, isn't it? And you think about the quality and the nature of some of the friendships that we see in the Bible. Think of Ruth and Naomi, where Ruth clings to Naomi. She refuses to leave her side. She says, where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God, my God. Think also of David and Jonathan, how their souls, the Bible says that their souls were knit together, these two men, these two friends. How Jonathan loved David, even as his own soul. How they made a covenant of friendship with each other, a covenant of friendship and peace with each other that would even last on to their descendants. What about John, the Apostle John, referring to Jesus as the disciple who Jesus loved and then reclining at the table next to Jesus and leaning his head on Jesus' chest? What about Paul? What about Paul embracing and kissing his friends as he departed from them? Let me ask you this. How many of us blokes here would feel comfortable with some of these things? How many of us I would, would dare to suggest that their soul, <laughs> that their soul was knit to, to that of another man that was their friend? How, how many of us would make a lifelong promise of friendship and support, no matter what? Let alone rest their head on the chest of a mate. How many of us would do that? You know, in relation to these questions. In his book, The Four Loves, C.S. Lewis wrote these words. He said, On a broad historical view, it is, of course, not the demonstration, not the, sorry, not the demonstrative gestures of friendship amongst our ancestors, but the absence of such gestures in our own society that calls for some special explanation. And remember, remember Lewis wrote these words back in 1960, over 70 years ago. I think we can all agree that as a society, we've moved even further away from that, that level of close intimacy and intimate friendship. And yet, friendship, that level of friendship is woven into the very fabric of who we are as people. And the statistics show this, right? It's estimated that loneliness is as bad for your health as diabetes or high blood pressure, right? Lonely people are 50% more likely to die prematurely than people who don't consider themselves to be lonely. And this is what Drew Hunter in his book, Made for Friendship, calls an Edenic ache. So Edenic comes from the word Eden, Garden of Eden. He goes back to Genesis in the Garden of Eden. He calls this an Edenic ache. There is an Edenic ache for friendship. When God created the world, everything was good. 
except for one thing. Adam, initially, was alone. It says that no animal was sufficient company for him, right? And more surprisingly, even Adam's relationship with God was not seen by God himself as being uh, sufficient for Adam's good. Because God created Adam with a need for human companionship. Adam was lonely. And let's think about this for a moment, right? Adam was not lonely because he was imperfect. He was lonely because he was perfect. Because remember, this is before the fall. This is before sin came into the world. Right? This ache that we all have for friendship is the one ache that is not the result of sin. This is one ache that is part of Adam's perfection. In fact, friendship is a key component of who we are because we've been made in the image of God. Right? And God is a God of friendship. Friendship, you think about the friendship within the Trinity, right? God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. There is this intimate relationship between the three of, of knowing and loving. It's, it's at the heart of the Trinity, right? And we've been created in God's image. Friendship is central to the storyline of the Bible, and therefore it's central to the storyline of humanity as a whole. Timothy Keller says that the entire story of redemption, in a sense, is a giant cosmic act of friendship. See, God's goal, God's goal in salvation history is that we might be one, as He and the Son and the Holy Spirit are one, and that we might experience some of that inner love, that special bond that the Trinity has. God's commitment to friendship is exhibited in the Old Testament as he makes covenants with his people to walk with him in friendship, as he, as he speaks to Moses, as one speaks to a friend, as he takes up dwelling in a tent among his people. But it reaches its fulfillment in the New Testament, in John 15, when Jesus says this to his disciples. He says, Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends for everything that I learned from my father, I have made known to you. So he's saying they're no longer, they're, they're no longer his servants, but friends, because not only has Jesus opened up the very mind of God and let them know God's innermost thoughts in salvation, but also because he's about to lay down his life for them in the greatest and most precious act of friendship that the world has ever seen. So friendship is good, right? In fact, it's very good. But there is an uncomfortable reality that we have to face about friendship if we're going to be realistic about it. And that brings us to our next point. Again, very simple. Friendship is not perfect. Now, last year, 2023, was 
uh, 30 years since I finished high school, since I finished year 12. Man, 30 years, where does the time go, eh? Now, um, in a moment, you're going to see a photograph. It's a picture of me and some of my mates uh, in year 12. That's me with a hat, by the way. <laughs> I was always very shy, always hiding my face. This is in 1993. So keep in mind, this, is, this photo only represents probably about a quarter, roughly a third or a quarter of the friends I had. This just happened to be the guys that were around when someone whipped out a camera and snapped off a photo. There's a couple of more blokes playing basketball in the black back there. Probably a couple in detention. <laughs> so out of, I don't know, 30 or 40 mates that I had back in high school, how many of them do you reckon I continued a friendship with into adulthood? Obviously not all of them. What do you reckon, about 10 maybe? Maybe five or six in my little inner circle? No, not even that. It's actually one person, one guy, and it's the guy that's uh, on the right of the picture there in the black jumper. And him I only bumped into um, by chance and reconnected with only about eight or nine years ago. His name's Tony. You see, the point here is that friends come and go, don't they? Especially when you're young and you're trying to find your place in the world. But even as, even as, as, as adults, even in adulthood, friendship doesn't always go as you expect it to, does it? Back there, I was probably thinking, these guys are going to be with me for life. They're my crew. And they weren't. You know, in the, um, in the early, sorry, in the late 90s and early 2000s, I was into a band, into a rock band called Creed. You might remember them. Uh, in 2001, they released a song called My Sacrifice. And the song, the words in the song, they talk about uh, two, two friends who have experienced a period of separation um, I don't think it's any, any, anything bad, but they've just sort of drifted apart. And now they've, they've reunited again, right? And the song starts with these lyrics. <clears throat> it says, hello, my friend, we meet again. It's been a while, where should we begin? Feels like forever. Within my heart are memories of perfect love that you gave to me. Oh, I remember. Now, as much as I like that song, there was something about those words that didn't sit quite right with me. Within my heart are memories of perfect love that you gave to me. Really? Could he say that, that it was perfect love? Probably just fit into the, into the, you know, the, the words in the song, but the reality is that even in the closest, most intimate friendships, we are not capable of giving or receiving perfect love, are we? Not even close. And the harsh reality is that friendships can, can not only be imperfect, but they can be downright messy. Right? Whether it's an inconsiderate word or a, or a totally unexpected betrayal, we have all been hurt by someone that we considered a friend. And when it happens, the tendency for a lot of us is to pull away. Right? to erect these protective barriers around our vulnerability and let the friendship fade into the background as if it never existed. And sometimes, sometimes when the wound is especially deep, our tendency is not only to give up on that friend and that friendship, but to give up on friendships in general. We're hurt so badly that we give ourselves over to, to, to cynicism and bitterness 
and resentment. We wonder if friendship is even worth the risk of wading through all those emotions and hurts, of even attempting reconciliation, of making ourselves vulnerable yet again. Is it worth it? Is it worth the risk? Sure, we can be friendly, right? We can be sociable at a safe distance, but to go back to that, that heart-level, intimate, close friendship? No, it's not worth the risk, is it? And with Dave and Phil, you know, despite having our differences at times and not seeing eye to eye on certain things, I can honestly say I've never been hurt by, any of, by, by, by either of them. But I have definitely experienced disappointment in other friendships. And yeah, it even hurts. Several of them, in fact. And in most of those cases, those friendships just faded into the background. I can only think of one, one case where after a couple of years of separation, there was reconciliation and a renewed friendship. But the point here is that friendships can be hard. <laughs> they can be messy, really messy. And it can be hurtful. And those hurts can sometimes stay with us for life. Right? This is not, this is serious stuff. And the thing is, you know what? Jesus is no stranger to these kinds of hurts. In fact, he experienced what can be regarded as the ultimate betrayal. Have a look at Mark, verse, uh, Mark chapter 14. Now Jesus is, in these verses, he's spending the evening, the night with his disciples, Right? And they're reclining at a table, they're having a meal together. And then he makes this, what I consider to be a painful statement for him to make to his disciples. He says, truly I tell you, one of you will betray me, one who is eating with me. And then verse 19 says, they were saddened. And one by one they said to him, surely you don't mean me. Peter. Peter is one of those disciples there that evening. He's one of the twelve. And he too faces Jesus. He looks into his eyes and he asks, asks surely you don't mean mean Jesus. I, I, it can't be me. I would never do that. In fact, Peter speaks again in his chapter, verse 29. And he says this, he says, even if all fall away, I will not. Right, pretty exclusive words, aren't they? Like they're pretty direct. It's not going to happen, Jesus. And then verse 31, only two verses later, Peter in insisted emphatically, it wasn't just a little side comment, he insisted emphatically, even if I have to die with you, Jesus, I will never disown you. Never. And we all know what happened, don't we? The, the, as they say, the, the, the rest is history, isn't it? Peter not only disowned Jesus once, but three times. And he even said to a person in the crowd, I've never known this bloke, I don't know who he is, I don't know this Jesus. Never heard of him. And Peter wasn't the only guilty one, was he? All the other disciples ran for their lives when the, morning, when the next morning came and Jesus was arrested. So Jesus knows what betrayal and hurt is when it comes to friendship. He's no stranger to it. 
You know, last week, if you were here last week, Diddy told us that there was a moment in his life where with his own lips he told God to go away. Go away. And you might think, well, that's pretty full on. It's bad. And it is bad. But the thing is, (laughs) we've all done it, right? Look at what Romans chapter 3 says about what we were like before we were Christians. It says, as it is written, there is no one righteous, not even one. Right? There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. All, it says, all have turned away. And let's face it, even, even now, for those of us who are believers, who are Christians, right? Even now we go through times in our lives where we openly disobey God, when we turn our backs on him, when we tell him to go away. Whether it's in words or in actions, the message is the same. It, it, it's, it doesn't matter. So when it comes to our relationship with Jesus, oftentimes we fail, don't we? And we fail miserably. And yet on the cross, Jesus revealed the fullness of his friendship to humankind. On the cross, he shared all that he had and all that he was in order to make us his friends. Which brings us to the third and final point. The perfect friend. Now we've been on a bit of a roller coaster, haven't we, this morning? Friendship is good, friendship is not so good. <laughs> now, back up to the perfect friend. And there is only one. This is where Psalm 25 is so crucial. Have a look at Psalm 25, verse 14. The NIV says, The Lord confides in those who fear him. He makes his covenant known to them. And then the ESV says it slightly differently. It says, The friendship of the Lord is for those who fear him, and he makes known to them his covenant. Now, I think we need to pause here for a moment and let this sink in and unpack this because this is like, this is, this is big, right? This is big. So, the Lord, right? In capitals. I didn't add those capitals. The, the Bible has it like that. The Lord, right? This is the Hebrew word for Yahweh, right? This is a very revered word in Hebrew. This is the great I am. Right? This is the Alpha and the Omega. This is the, the creator of, and the sustainer of the universe and beyond. And he wants to be our friend. He wants to be friends with us. Are we getting this? And this, is, this word friend here is not just some you know, fancy word that has a whole bunch of different meanings in the Hebrew. No, no, no. This is friend, pure and simple, the way we know the word friend. Right? It's an affectionate bond between two people as they journey through life together with openness and trust. And that's what God wants with us. <laughs> Talk about having friends in high places, eh? And we see, we see this with Moses. Right? God tells Moses what he plans to do and he stimulates in Moses an impassioned plea for God's people. And even before the tabernacle is constructed, Moses sets up a tent, which he calls the tent of meeting. And he goes there to consult with God. It it tells us in the Bible in Exodus, he goes there to consult with God on behalf of the people about their inquiries. So people have a question, Moses goes into the tent and consults with God. 
But it wasn't all work for Moses, you see. This was for Moses also a place of of secret counsel with God. It was a place of intimacy with God. Exodus chapter 33 verse 11 says, The Lord, the same Lord, right, with capitals, the Lord would speak to Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend. And Psalm 25 tells us that this is what God wants with us. This is what he desires to have with us. A holy God wants to be friends with sinful people, with me, a sinner? Yeah, he does. You know, if we had to be perfect to be friends with God, or even if we had to be perfect to have human friends, we would never have any because we're not perfect. None of us are. Think about your friends. Think about those that you're closest with. None of them are perfect, are they? They may be good, they may be excellent even, but they're not perfect. Think about those people that the Bible specifically names as friends of God. It specifically uses the word friend of God, right? Abraham is one. Abraham was a liar. Moses is one. Moses killed a man, right? All 12 apostles We just heard Jesus calls them friends, but they deserted him on the night he was betrayed. Judas, one of the twelve, he was the betrayer, right? Peter disowned him. Were any of these people perfect? No, of course not, far from it. And yet they were all called friends of God. Matthew and Luke both tell us that Jesus was a friend of sinners and mate. Thank God that he was and still is because we're all sinners, right? You see, here's the thing. Being, being imperfect does not disqualify you from friendship with God. In fact, it actually qualifies you for it. Now, if that wasn't amazing enough that God desires to be our friend, he not only does that, but he also provides the means by which to do it. Have a look at Psalm 25, verse 14 again. It says, The Lord confides in those who fear him. Right? He makes his covenant known to them. Right? Listen to those words. The Lord confides in those who fear him. He makes his covenant known to them. So, hang on a sec. God confides in us? Isn't it meant to be the other way around? We come to him in prayer and, and we confide in him. But here it says he confides in us. He tells us his secrets. What, what's it talking about here? Right? He makes his covenant known to us. And there's a bit of a clue. Now let's look back for a moment at the passage we looked at earlier in John 15. And remember, Jesus is speaking here. He says, Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, he says, listen to this, instead, I have called you friends for everything, everything that I learned from my father, I have made known to you. So the Lord confides in us. He shares an intimate secret with us. This is crazy, right? But what is that secret? Well, it's got something to do with a covenant. 
right? But what's the covenant? It's a plan. It's an agreement. It's an agreement that will see unrighteous, sinful people become intimate friends with a perfectly holy and righteous God. But that doesn't seem possible. How will that happen? Uh huh. Well, this is where Jesus, the perfectly sinless Son of God, comes down to this sinful and fallen world and sacrifices himself on a cross and sheds his innocent blood so that a way can be made open for us to enter into a good relationship and a good friendship with God. Amen? This is the secret that God confides in us. This is the covenant. It is the earth-shattering plan of salvation for mankind, for humankind. And he not only puts Jesus at the very center of that, but he also uses Jesus to communicate it to us. Right? Jesus says, I have called you friends for everything that I learned from my Father I have made known to you. You want to be friends with God? You need to be friends with me first, Jesus says. You need to be friends with Jesus first, the perfect friend, the friend who died for us, the friend who will never abandon, never betray, never forsake, the friend who will walk alongside you, support you, and whose love for you will never waver, regardless of what journey you take in life, what circumstances you go through life, what stupid things you and I say or do. Now, when I, when I think about, when I read about the qualities of true friends and how to build solid relationships, I realize that this is the kind of friendship that I long for. And it's also the kind of friend that I long to be, but sadly, I fall short. Am I really, am I really being a friend to others? And to even think that I could live up to that standard in my own strength is ridiculous. And yet, regardless of all that, we still have that deep longing within us, don't we? We always have that deep longing to have that intimate and close friendship or friendships. And you know that studies reveal that a vast majority of people who attend church do so because of friends. Eliminate friendship from, from the picture and you eliminate church growth. Every church wants to be known as the friendly church because it is a known fact that community and friendship bring about church growth. And that's why it's so important for us to not only invite people that we know to church, but, but to also welcome newcomers as they come through those doors. Get to know them. Connect with them. Make them feel welcomed. Make them feel loved. Right? Be a friend to them. Do you know that out of 40 uh, accounts that we have in the Bible where Jesus healed someone, he probably healed a lot more people, but there are 40 specific accounts that we have, we can read about in the Bible. Out of those 40, 34 of those people were either brought to Jesus by a friend or had Jesus brought to them by a friend. Only six of those people that we read about that were healed were actually healed by coming to Jesus on their own. See, the most likely way that any of us will bring another person to Christ is by means of friendship. So yeah, we know, we know that we, that we all have this deep longing for friendship, that it's always 
we want friendship that is always faithful, that it's always, that's always loyal, that's always loving, that's always honest, that's always unselfish, that is always committed to our well-being no matter what and no matter what the cost. And that longing can only ever point to one person, and that is Jesus. That's it. He's, he's, when it comes to our earthly friendships, he's the one we look to as an example. The one who was willing to endure incredible wrongs against him with a single-minded focus of reconciling us as friends back to God. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we, we thank you for the friends that you've given us in our lives. We thank you for the way that they uh, enrich our lives, that the way, in the way that they support, encourage and build us up, in the way they encourage us in our faith, in the way they encourage us to be better husbands and wives, kids, um, parents. And Father, we thank you for the ultimate friend that we have in Jesus. We thank you, Jesus, that you came to this fallen world to die for our sinners, even though you were perfect. Thank you for the blood that you shed to make a way open for us to enter into a covenant with your Father. And, and we thank you for all the blessings that friendship uh, with our human friends and friendship with you brings us. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.